0: Welcome everyone. How's everybody doing today? Amen. 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 I'll praise God for that. All right. I don't know if uh, you caught that, but we do have the doctrines of grace. Uh, It hasn't been put in the bulletin as of yet or uh, much of an announcement, but we are doing the doctrines of grace. We're going to be starting it in September on September 6th. That was a Wednesday, right? Yeah. Okay. That was a Wednesday. I just kind of was trying to remember by, uh, by memory. And since that's gone, so I've got to check, make sure it's still there, (laughs) my memory that is. But uh, September 6th is when we're going to start the doctrines of grace. We have two classes, and that's only because um, it's it's. uh, I'd like to open it up for as many people as possible. We're going to start the first one at from four to five. And then the second one from 6 to 7, if anyone w- would like to come to the first one or the second one, you have two options. It'll be identical, and that's for those that are working and uh, can't seem to get here that early at 4, and the 4 o'clock one, of course, is for those that are, uh, would, would like to take care, advantage of the morning session. But you'll have material. We're going to go over orientation. I'll make sure that you have everything you need. We'll go over and talk about how we're going to structure it and uh, say, so if you have any questions, uh, we're going to start Wednesdays at 4 p.m and 6 p.m. Okay. Yesterday, I was just so amazed and blessed by the pouring out of the volunteers and those that showed up. You know, in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Okay. And how that would work is, well, for instance, like, you know, 100 people. We have 100 people. Out of those 100 people, only 20 people would do pretty much everything that had to take place yesterday. And with 100 people, you know, we have even more kids and more activities. And so there's, it's it's just a big load on those 20% of the people. However, in our church, I'm finding out that 80% of the people are doing most of the work. You know, 80% of the members in the congregation showed up yesterday and uh, brought people and invited people. And uh, it was a pretty good showing. And uh, we were kind of concerned about the heat. And uh, you guys are just troopers, man. I couldn't believe i you guys just went out there and played with the kids and the parachute and, you know, it was just amazing. And those those kids, they don't care. They don't know when to quit. So we had to keep reminding them to, to hydrate. But I personally want to thank you for being available. There's just your gift of love, your outpouring of love to the children, to those that were here, and uh, they were very blessed. And I, and I pray that we see them again. Amen? Amen. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, North Park. I appreciate that. Okay, with that said, let's go to uh, the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. That's what we're reading. And it's really a letter more than anything else. And Paul is responding to some issues that had taken place at the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to be reading out of 13 through 18, is probably the one passage most people turn to when we talk about the rapture. Now, I'm going to explain to you what the rapture is here in just a bit for those of you that are kind of concerned or maybe not too... uh, You know, confident in what that means or where it comes from, the word rapture, because I'm sure that if you've read this several times, you'll see, I don't see the word rapture in there, but we're going to go over that as well. Paul wrote this piece of information, not necessarily to explain the rapture, not necessarily to describe how it happens or any theological uh, information on how the rapture takes place, because he's already taught them about the rapture. And, and so this is their concern. Their concern at this point is that, you know, what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns? You know, has the rapture already taken place? Because we're going through persecution. They understood that during the, during the uh, tribulation that the that the people that are left behind they're going to be going through a tribulation period. And they were going through a tribulation period at that time. Remember they ran Paul out of the city. Uh, the people were being uh, thrown into jail and prisons, possessions taken because of who they were. They didn't like the fact that this religion was calling them to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from their temple prostitutes and their temple worship and the worship of various gods. They didn't like this cult or this group of people that had boundaries to infiltrate and to grow in such a way that it influenced the church and it uh, excuse me the city and it started to impact the city in a positive way where they saw it in a negative way so they were going through persecution and their concern was you know did the rapture already take place is it already are we going through the persecution are we here in the tribulation now what's happening here and so that's that's what their concern was and we'll, we'll see a little bit more about that in just a bit The purpose that the reason that Paul wrote this letter and the purpose for the writing of this letter to the church was to respond to their fears. Number one, what happens to the people that have died? What happened to those that have gone on before us? Well, well, you know, are they going to miss? Did they miss the rapture? Are they going to be saved? Are they going to get the rewards? Are they going to uh, are they going to be able to receive what God has for them as well? Or is it just is it just us? And so the letter that Paul wrote to the people in Thessalonica was to try to give them comfort. Now, the interesting thing about this portion of scripture, it talks about the taking up of the god's people it talks about the rapture and it doesn't explain it much except for just saying that it happened we're going to go through various verses to figure out and to see how all this takes place but in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 and if you don't have a bible you can pull out a bible from uh, your pews and this is on page 987 i would tell you something to the effect of you know if you have a uh, i don't know where first thessalonians is at it's uh, Well, it's right next to 2 Thessalonians. That doesn't help much either. So I'm going to tell you that if you open up those Bibles that you have in front of you, on page 987, you'll find our reading. And let me go ahead and read this. And in my Bible, on the top of this portion of Scripture, it has it written like this. It says, the coming of the Lord. Okay? And I don't know if you saw that or kind of you know heard in the music. There was the theme of the coming of the Lord. You know, the trumpet's going to sound. He's uh, We're waiting. Behold, he comes riding on the cloud. Uh, and so we're expecting his uh, return quickly. Verse 13, it reads like this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even as together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for bringing this portion of scripture to us at this point in time in our life. Many of us have lost loved ones. Many of us don't know what's happened. And there's a lot of hopelessness in this world. And Paul writes to the people in Thessalonica and to give them hope so that we can be encouraged and not like those, as it says here, that grieve and do not have any hope. So I pray, Father, that with this portion of scripture, with this message, that you give us uh, just your word and your insight and that we learn and we believe and we apply it to our life. And we recognize the need and the understanding for this second coming, your rapture, that we need to be encouraged by that. And we need to be ready for that. So, Father, thank you once again for this this portion of the scripture, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. The study of the end times consumes many people. It just takes up all their emotions and all their everything. A lot of people, when they get saved, the very first thing that they want to know is, what does the book of Revelation mean? And they go into all this meat and all this uh, deep theological study, and they try to make everything as a symbol, try to make this to be that and that to be this. And they're trying to figure out how it is that all these things come together, and yet they have no understanding of God's Word. And the, the book of Revelation is probably one of the ones that most people go to, and it doesn't necessarily talk about the rapture, but it does point people to the rapture. And I'll explain to you here in just a bit on that as well. But, but when you come to this rapture, there, are, there is a lot of confusing information out there. Okay, and, and just, just so you be clear, and I'm not going to really focus much on the other views of the rapture, but there are at least three views that some people uh, hold on to. Number one, and this is, the, this is where your pastor is coming from, number one is the pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, the pre- and for short, they call it pre-trib. And pre-tribulation rapture means that the rapture will take place prior to the tribulation. Now, as we understand Scripture, when we read the Bible, we know that there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. Right now, we're going to tribulation. Then we're going to go through the tribulation, and then there's going to be a great tribulation that takes place three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation. So there is this understanding, as the Bible teaches, and I'll I'll share some Scriptures with you on that this morning, uh, or maybe later as well, next week. But the understanding that... Your pastor and the leadership here understands is that we believe in what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, there's another view that some people get from scriptures as well, and it's called the mid-tribulation rapture rapture in other words there's a definite three and a half years that is going to happen with this we all agree on and then there's another three and a half years of the great tribulation and so some believe that somewhere in the middle that jesus christ is going to return rapture his church and take them with Him for the rest of the for the remainder of the tribulation until he comes back again with all the saints and then there's that other uh, thought of the post-tribulation rapture pre-trib mid-trib post-trib are just ways of acknowledging those things and again they have verses for that as well and and i can argue all of those biblically and show you scriptures for that but that's not my intent today my intent today is to share with you the believer's hope your hope and why it is that we can have blessed hope because one day he's coming oh glorious day One day he's coming and we see the world falling apart. And as we started to talk last week, you know, God doesn't want us to be just milling around. He wants us to be busy. He wants us to be active. He wants us to get involved, to let people just like you did yesterday. And we were ministering to the children and to the parents. And it was an awesome time. This is what God desires from us. And so we need, we need to continue on this this track that we're on the, and the purpose that we're doing this. You see, there are people that try to say that, that I, I know when this is going to happen. I figured it all out. I've read the Bible back and forth. And, and this means that, and that means this. And so therefore, and back in 19, uh, 1994, somebody had predicted it's going to happen on this date. And people, were, they, they really looked up to this preacher, this pastor, and time and time and time again, people have been wrong. And they claim to know when this is going to happen. I don't know how they claim to know how this is going to happen. If Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son. As a man, Jesus Christ did not know. As God, well, of course he knew. But as the son, as the man he says i don't know but only the father knows only god knows and some people will get caught up in the end time study and and they'll go into all kinds of ideas and thoughts and stars and revelation and all kinds of things but unlike most modern day treaties on the subject paul's concern was not doctrinal but it was pastoral his concern was not trying to teach a, a theological doctrinal statement of the rapture and how things happens. You know, he, he was more concerned about their concerns. You know, the, the, there is a concern. What happens to our loved ones? What, what, what takes place? But, but they were Christians. And what, what, shouldn't they get raptured? And what if we get raptured? Did the rapture already come? How are all these things going to come together? And, and so in the whole process of it, and, and this, is, this is kind of obscure In your Bibles, in John chapter 14, if you want to turn there, you can. And we're going to have it up on the screen here in just a little bit. But in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's at the point of the night before he gets arrested and betrayed and executed. And he is murdered on that next day. And right before all of this happens, he's talking to them. He says, you know, don't worry about things. He says to them in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, a lot of people point to the end time. But see, at the end time, Jesus doesn't take us with him. Jesus brings us back in Revelation chapter 19. He is coming back to establish the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign. And so he's coming back with all these saints. He's coming back on a white horse. He's coming back to establish and to demolish all the evil, to cast Satan into the bottomless pit, to cast the false prophet into hell, to cast the Antichrist into hell and bind Satan for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years, let him go. And so, what Jesus Christ is referring to here, what most of us believe, is He's going to come down, as Paul says, and meet us mid-air in the the clouds and take us to be with Him. As a matter of fact, the theology or the doctrine of the rapture wasn't really fleshed out. People knew that He was going to come back, and and what Paul says, and he kind of gives us an example or a a, a very small hint of what the rapture was going to be like in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. You know what, Paul says, this is something that was just revealed to me. It was a mystery. Jesus Christ himself showed me what it was that w- that's going to happen. And I'm going to sh- share with you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Once again, the wording of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, our reading today. So Paul is telling the people in Corinth, he says, this is what's going to happen. It's a mystery. You know, this is something that I just just found out. I knew that Jesus Christ was going to establish his kingdom here. But the process of all that, how does that happen? And Paul says, well, here it is. You know, some issues about the details uh, about the gathering of Christ to to some troubled them. And so they they wanted, Paul, first and foremost, wanted to show them, you don't need to be afraid. You need to tell them, you know what? Yes, your loved ones died. Yes. And you know what? If they, they died in Christ, so then here's what's going to happen. So their fear was that the day of the Lord had already happened. Their fear that they missed the rapture. Their fear was that, that all these things that are happening right now was part of the persecution that they understood that was going to take place. Now remember, Paul was in the city for just a short time. He was running out of town. And he was only there for a short time. Some people say three weeks. Some people say three months. Whatever it was, it was just a short time. And he was able to teach them about everything Jesus Christ did according to the scriptures and that he was going to come back. And prior to him coming back, he was going to take the church with him. And that church is going to be saved. This wrath of God that is going to be unleashed on this planet. And again, what Paul is trying to share with them is, you know, you just got to prepare, got to be ready. We're going to find out when we go into 2 Thessalonians that there was a group of people up on the, mount, uh, the mountain that they were waiting for Jesus to return. They stopped working. They stopped existing, I guess, as citizens. And people would take them food and feed them. And Paul would say, well, what are you doing that for? He says, well, because they're hungry. Well, how come they ain't working? Well, they're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The man who doesn't work doesn't eat. Plain and simple. You know, you got to keep going. You got to keep busy in life because you don't know when Jesus Christ is going to return. That's why you got to watch your walk. Paul is very adamant about watching your walk. You got to walk in the spirit. You got to walk according to Christ. You got to walk according to his word. You got to walk. You got to walk in such a way that glorifies and brings honor to Jesus Christ. And so all these things, and, and so their, their, their number one concern was about those that have died and gone on before them. And so what I want to share with you today are three things out of First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 um, and, and, uh, and on. Number one, my hope comes from God's word. Okay, That's, that should be in your outlines. My hope comes from God's word. He says in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations use the word ignorant. Not that they're being stupid, they just have ignored the teaching. Brothers, we, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. It's interesting that Paul uses that word koimen, uh, koimenion, and koimonian is the word for hotel. And koimonia is the word that we use to describe what a cemetery is like. It's a resting place. It's a sleeping place. It's a place where you go and sleep. And it's interesting that Paul and Jesus and, and various people, if, if you look at, you know, you know what, I don't think I, I even offered this verse up. Let me read this one, though, that in, in Matthew 27, in, and I'm going to focus on verse 22. Uh, in Matthew 27, the, Matthew is describing the crucifixion. He's describing what just happened, what took place. He's describing how they executed Jesus Christ, how they murdered him, how they slaughtered him on the cross, just the evil that took place on the cross of of Calvary. And all that was going on in Matthew was just pouring out his heart. He's remembering by the Holy Spirit and giving him the details of all the things that were going on. And right at the end, right at the end, Jesus Christ says, Father, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit and the bible says that he died and when he died he says the matthew says he records he's the only one that records this that the curtain was torn in two that has some theological significance i'm not going to get into that but the curtain to the temple where there was only access between man and god was that curtain was refraining or keeping back anybody to look inside it was a thick curtain must have been about nine inches thick it was a huge tall curtain and and not not just something you can easily rip with your hands it just split right down this right down the middle and all of a sudden you can see into the holies of holies and people are saying no no we can't see this we're gonna die that was the first thing that happened during this earthquake everything fell apart the second thing that happened is that the graves were, were open And the Bible says in verse 52, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just knowing these people that have died in Christ, many of the saints, and now they are walking around thinking, what happened? How long was I asleep? You know, and how, how did this happen? The the event of Jesus Christ's crucifixion and the resurrection, but the crucifixion mainly, it was a cataclysmic event that affected the whole world. The sky became dark. It was just a, a presence of God's punishment and wrath being unleashed upon Jesus Christ that it was so powerful that dead people rose from their sleep, is what Matthew says. Look at these verses. This one's in your outline. When, when Jesus went to go, um, when he was told about his friend Lazarus, you know, he was sick, Jesus says, okay, well, I'll go visit him. Jesus took three days. And then finally somebody came and said, say, hey, you know what? You took too long, Jesus. You can't heal him now. He's dead. He's been dead for three days. And Jesus is after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to wake him up. These aren't in your outline in Acts 7 verse 60 and falling to his knees. This is Stephen, he's being executed. He's being stoned. He, he, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In Acts 13, 36, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now, he just didn't nod out. He didn't fall asleep like some people do here in church sometimes. He didn't do that. He literally died. This is why in 1 Corinthians 11, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You notice here how all of a sudden the word died is being used? I'm touching, I'll am touching. i touch on that here just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Then He appeared, Jesus Christ, after He resurrected, He appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In 15... Verse eighteen, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And then the last a uh, couple more, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in your outlines, it's these two verses. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And then Second Peter three four. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things are com- continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, fallen asleep. Death, Jesus Christ converted death into sleep. And it's interesting the way Paul writes this out. Look at this again. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died. You know, he didn't say he fell asleep. See, death is definite. Death is done. Death is what happens to those that have no hope. But you see, Paul is trying to get across. You know what? Because you're a believer and you die in Christ, you're not dead. You fall asleep. You go into the sleep and your body falls asleep and your soul takes off. And I'll share with you as to why I say that. Because there is this idea that there is a soul sleep. That once you die, that your soul goes to sleep. No. Your body goes to sleep, but your soul is automatically in the presence of Jesus Christ, or it's in the, automatically in the presence of uh, persecution. You're going through a, a very terrible time of pain and suffering. Either you die in Christ, because you, you will not die forever. You'll live forever either with Christ or without Him. And so, I'll show you those verses here in just a little bit. So it's important to remember that when we look at the look at the New Testament that sleep only applies to the body and not the soul look at second Corinthians five eight yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. you see that Paul is saying yes we're dying, our bodies are fading away, our spirit is growing, but our body is weak, and it's falling apart, but yet you know what it it, it, it it is good. you have to understand this, you have to be a good, good courage because we would rather be away from the body because the moment you're away from the body, you're at home with the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 1 23, it says, I am hard pressed between the two. He's talking about dying or living. He says, you know, I, I want to go and be with the Lord. I do. That's, that's my whole goal, but I know that I haven't finished here yet. I'd rather stay with you. But, you know, I, and to, to weigh the two, I want to be with Jesus. I don't know about you. Amen? Would you rather be with Jesus? I hope so. Because this world has nothing for us. And the body will eventually die. You will die. That's just a mathematical certainty. Somebody said, I can guarantee you that if you don't die before you're 50, you'll die sometime afterward. That's a guarantee. That's a mathematical certainty. One of the the pastors said, you know, if you live long enough, you'll die. It's just going to happen. And the sooner that we accept that, the sooner that we understand that, it helps us to evaluate our life and not to be worrying about what is going to happen next. And Paul states here, says, you know, I would rather be in the presence of the Lord or and I would rather, you know, or, or stay here. And he says in verse 23 of Philippians 1, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And then he says, but you know what? It is more beneficial if I stay because you still need some more instruction. As a matter of fact, Paul was in prison at this time. Remember Philippians. He was, di- was going to uh, be executed here very shortly and so he was busy and though he was in prison chained to a guard he was writing letters and he wrote to the people of philippians he says rejoice rejoice and, and rejoice in all things and rejoice be happy and he's in prison that had been me writing out of prison or jail oh is me somebody sent me some money for my bag i need some goodies I mean, I mean so, you know, that's the way I would be writing. I don't know. But Paul was in, on fire for the Lord and wanted to get the message out. And he was not about to quit. And he said that. And he did that. There, there, is, there is this awful, terrifying, hopeless finality for those that are not in Christ. And they grieve. And you can see it. You can see it in the hearts and in the eyes of People that as they grieve because they don't know. Beloved, I want you to know. I want you to know what it is that Jesus Christ is teaching you and what Paul is trying to get across here. You see, I can have hope, number two, because my hope comes from God's word, okay? My hope comes from God's word. My hope comes from God's word, And my hope comes from God's work, I believe, is that's what it's supposed to say, right? Okay. My, My hope comes from God's work. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what Paul says in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, this is the work that God did. The finished work of God, he did on Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, number one. Or the first point right after that. The, the death of Jesus Christ. My hope comes from God's work. And what, what did God do? He worked He worked inside of Jesus Christ, number one, to provide our sin to be taken care of. Beloved, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. And because God is holy, he cannot view sin. And because I have sinned, and if it was just one sin. Oh, I, I, I wish I could just tell you it was just one sin. I only lied once. I wish I could tell you that, but i that'd be a lie just right now. <laughs> I should go to hell just for that. But ever since I've been a little kid, my and I'm growing up in sin, I was born in sin, I was conceived in sin, I, I'm, I'm lost without Jesus Christ, I am a sinner, and my punishment and my sentencing should be death. But praise God that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And he died on the cross to... He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And because I have recognized my sinful state, and I recognize that I cannot stand before God without recognizing my sin, and somehow, way, that sin has to be dealt with, and if somebody doesn't take care of it, I'm going to have to take care of that. God sent Jesus Christ to die On the cross. For since we believe. Paul says, you know what? You can assure and you can be assured that those that have died in Christ, they'll be raptured because Jesus Christ died and he died for you. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus lived a perfect life up until the point that I sinned. And my sin was applied to Jesus Christ, and somebody had to pay for that. And Jesus got up there and he says, "You know, God, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of self sin. Oh, and by the way, I'll take care of James's sin. I'll take care of Ken's sin. I'll take care of the I'll take care of the whole world's sin. I came to die for those that are yours, and I will take their sin." I don't know if you remember or not. At the Garden of Eden, I'm, I'm sorry, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus Christ died, he knew what he was going to experience. And Jesus prayed and he cried and he poured out his heart to God. And it was it was so devastating in his life that his body was so stressed out that it sweat drops of blood. And Jesus says, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he knew what he was going to experience. He knew the sin, the punishment that God was going to unleash on him. And he did so willingly. Even when we were sinners, for our sake, he made him sin. Who knew no sin? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He took my sin and he applied it to himself. He took his righteousness and he applied it to me. And therefore, I can stand righteous before God because of my faith in Jesus Christ that he did that for me. The evidence of that is my life, how I live my life now, to honor him, to praise him, to worship him and him alone. Look at this next verse, 1 Peter 2, 22, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. A lot of people take that verse and they say, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross so he can fix my knees because my knees are hurting. By his wounds, I am healed. Jesus Christ died on the cross so he can fix my back, so he can fix my head. My head hurts all the time. So Jesus Christ died on the cross so that, you know how silly that sounds? How menial and petty and demeaning. You mean that Jesus Christ experienced the cruel cross so that my knees can be healed? so that my my headaches can go away, so that my, uh, you know, cancer can go away. That's why he died? Is that really why he died? No. He died on the cross to take the biggest sin, the, the biggest health issue that you have, the most detrimental diagnosis of your life is sin. Because I don't care how healthy you get and how well you get and how much healing you get. If you die without Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to hell. It's the bottom line. And it's amazing. I, and I'll tell you this right now. I've seen people get healed from various types of things. And then they go right back out to what they were doing before. And they continue on not even worshiping God. And they continue coming back to get some more healing and go back out. And come back. It's kind of like this revival. Ball door. Okay, God, I messed up again. Can you fix me again? Thank you. Bye. I'll see you next time I'm sick. It's not this genie in the bottle. G- Jesus died that cruel death because he needed to take care of what you can't take care of, what I can't take care of. I couldn't take care of that. And because he took care of that, when my loved ones or me, when I die, I can be encouraged that I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ because I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going. I don't know how many of you yesterday when you guys got home after the hot day in the sun <laughs> went to sleep. Oh, didn't I feel good? It's something you look forward to, right? It should be. It's something that you, oh, you know what? I just, and then you're saying, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake up. You know, okay, I got to get up. You know, it's like my mom, my, my, my mom used to tell me, you know, I, I Mijo, you got to go. To, I don't want to go to church, mom. Let me sleep. You got to go. I don't want to go to church, mom. She's, she Mijo, you got to go. I go, why? Well, first of all, because you're the pastor, and second of all, because you got the keys. You got to go sleep oh it's so peaceful and this is the way paul is telling us to look at it it should be oh you know what and i know people fear it i i understand that it's the fear of the unknown none of us knows it's on the other side that's why we put our trust in god and i pray that when that day comes in my life that i can recognize it lord i'm coming home And don't bring me back yet. Okay. (laughs) Uh, My kids are going to miss me. My grandkids are going to miss me. I know my wife's going to miss me. I know she's going to say, you know, that, man, I wish you wouldn't go. But you know what? I got to go. Jesus said, let's go. And I'm going. Sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. I'm just leaving. It's time. Let me go. And you're going to be sad. It'll hurt. But you know what? For me and those that have died in Jesus Christ. You see, I can, I can be assured that the rapture is going to happen, those, those who have died before Christ, uh, before Jesus Christ returns and died in Christ, because of not only, not only because of the death of Jesus Christ, but number two, uh, the, the next thing is that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, uh, and rose again. He not only died, Right? He not only died for our sake, for since we believe that Jesus died. And once again, you notice how Paul uses the word died. He didn't say Jesus Christ went to sleep, even though that's what happened. See, it had to be a final finality to take care of sin, the sin that only God was going to be able to forgive by something that was executed and killed. That was the whole system from the very beginning. They had the sacrificial system animals had to be killed blood had to be shed there, without the remission of blood there is no forgiveness this is what the book is what the bible tells us but the resurrection of jesus christ he rose and the resurrection indicates that the father accepted his sacrifice it was a good sacrifice jesus thank you now let's go 3 days in the ground it's enough you've taken care of it all let's go in romans 326 it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Look at this next verse in 1 Corinthians 6:14, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. See, Jesus Christ had the power to lay his life down and to pick it up again. And by the power of God, because he is God, he was able to give his life as a man and resurrected up again. Now, if that happens, Paul is telling us, because we believe that he died and resurrected, you too can have that same hope, that same expectation. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we have this assurance We have this assurance that Jesus Christ, and as I said earlier in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, that's what he's preparing for us. He's laying the foundation and the walls and everything that we need. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Because where I am, I want you to be there too. He wants us to be with him. That's why he died. Not to fix my knees. I mean, if he can fix my knees, great not to fix my headaches. You know, if my headaches can go away, but that's not why he died. He died to take care of my sin problem. You know, another reason I can have hope in God is because of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me explain this a little bit to you. In verse 15, he says, For this we declare to you by, the word, by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. See, Paul is saying here that I want you to know this because I know this, and I want you to know this. In verse 16, if you go to your Bible, or uh, I I don't think it's in your outlines, in verse 16, uh, verse 16, "For, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. You know what? I, I missed it. Go back to verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, through Jesus God will bring Him bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. You know what? I don't know how I missed that. But for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. For this we declare to you, From a word from the Lord. Now, here's something that I need for you to understand, and we talked about this already uh, several times. This is this is believed to be one of the first letters that Paul wrote. Paul wasn't following Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ was executed and resurrected. As a matter of fact, he was following the people that were following Jesus Christ. And he followed them, not to be like them, but to persecute them, to incarcerate them, to drag them back into prison, to take away their possessions, because this whole thing that was going on, and his name was Saul at that time, was just messing everything up for their political system, for their religious system. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shows up, and it turned the world upside down, and he was given letters to go and bring all these people, and they were called people of the way, he was given letters to bring all these people of the way and bring them and persecute them, throw them into prison, take away their possessions, and uh, just disrupt their whole life. And on the way to Damascus, Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Saul was knocked down, and his eyes were blind, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul turned out back and says, My Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And Paul converted there when he met Jesus Christ. And when he converted there, the Bible says, and we know that he had been discipled by Jesus for at least three years. So in that time that Paul had his conversion to the time that Paul was trained by Jesus Christ, Jesus revealed to him so many things. And this is one of them. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Because nowhere else are we being taught about the rapture. Nowhere else are we talking about all these things that happened. As a matter of fact, Paul even stated one, uh, one other thing in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20 verse 35, he says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And he quotes Jesus. He says, we got to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And in some of your Bibles, these words will be in red. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The problem with that is Paul is saying, this is what Jesus Christ said. You go back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, you can't find any record of that statement. And so therefore, it gives us the, it gives this is the understanding that Jesus was talking to Paul and sharing with him the things that we needed to know. Paul wrote those things down. And Paul continues to, to share and to feed us through his word. And this revelation of Jesus Christ that came from the word of the Lord is how we can know that what Jesus said when he's going to return, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Specifically, talking about the rapture. Number three, my hope comes from God's wisdom my hope comes from God's wisdom who's going to be raptured by the way well we know that the dead in Christ will rise first so they're they're going to be raptured they're going to be taken up they're going to be taken up into the into the heavens now I stated this a little while ago, and I'm not going to be able to get to it today, but I'll probably get to it next week. Let me just share this with you. The word rapture is not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, some people will even argue with you. Why do you talk about the rapture, the rapture, the rapture? It's not even in the Bible. You know, the word rapture is not in there, so I don't think the rapture is going to happen. Well, you know what? Don't call it the rapture. Call it the caught upness then. Because that's what's going to happen. We're going to be caught up with Jesus Christ. Don't call it the rapture then. Call it the caught upness. Well, you're still talking about the same. Well, that's going to happen. The Bible says so. I showed you guys a couple of verses where he alludes to that. And it happens a lot in Scripture. You, you know, I don't know if you know the story about Enoch. Enoch was a man of God in the book of Genesis, he lived a long time. The Bible says that he walked with God. And then one day, Enoch was not. And so therefore, there was a joke, and I can't remember how it goes. But Enoch walked with God, Then all of a sudden, Enoch wasn't there anymore. He was raptured. He was taken up. He was taken up. Uh, And I don't know if you remember the story about Elijah. Elijah was was also taken up in a chariot of fire. He was taken up. In, In the book of Revelation, John is taken up to see everything that's going to happen. It happens, and here, the dead in Christ are going to be taken up, first of all, in God's wisdom. Wisdom is exactly perfect when he says, I'm getting you out of this mess because my wrath is going to be poured out on this world. And I don't want you guys anywhere near that place. I don't want you guys anywhere near that place. And then we who are alive, he says in the rest of 15, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And those are the things that are going to take place during the time of the rapture. And once again, in Matthew 24, verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows when that's going to happen. There are a lot of signs for the end times. We've discussed a lot of them. One of the biggest signs that happened was that in 1948, well, first of all, for 1,900 years, the Bible has been telling us that the enemies of Jerusalem are going to come in and raid Jerusalem and raid the Hebrew people and the Jews and take away all their possessions. They're going to persecute them. There's going to be a war around Jerusalem. There's going to be a war and there's going to be all these things, Armageddon and everything else that you've heard about. And how they're going to be persecuted and there's not going to be a nation that's going to come back and to be able to help Jerusalem. The problem with that is that for 1,900 years, there was no Jerusalem for the Jews. They had no home. And so people would argue, how is that going to happen? You know, you're you're saying you're going to take away, is it metaphorical? Is it symbolic? What do you mean by their nation is going to be raided, that they're going to be, you know, taken captive out out of their own homeland? You know, how is that going to happen? In 1948, Israel became a state. Israel became a nation. And now they have a nation to be raided. And that's the only purpose of that nation is for prophecy to be fulfilled. There's another piece of it. There's a bunch of things that have already come to place, but another piece of information that we get from Jesus' discourse on the Mount of Olives uh, in Matthew 24, he says that you will not be able to, oh, I'm sorry, it's in Revelation, you will not be able to buy or to sell without a mark. And if you don't have the mark of the beast, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. And for the last, you know, prior to the last 50 years, people were saying, how's that going to happen? How are they going to know what I'm gonna buy or how are they gonna know what I'm gonna sell there's no way that they can f- figure that out well if you've been keeping up to date on a lot of the things that are happening now everything's going digital you're gonna buy everything and they got a nice lock on what you buy and what you sell and anytime they want to they can just shut you off or give you more money and once that digital system goes into effect which many people think it's gonna happen soon you know, there's there's another key piece of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. There are many things that are happening, and we're looking at all these things right now. The things that are going on in the world, the, the lawlessness, and when we get to Second Thessalonians chapter two, we're gonna talk about the lawlessness and the law and the lawbreaker and those that are following the unlawful man the Antichrist. And we're going to talk more about that during that time. But at this point in time, we've got to understand that this is something that's going to happen and all the signs are pointing to the end when Jesus Christ returns, the wars, the rumors of wars, the pestilences, the viruses, the famines and all these things that are taking place, the earthquakes and all this devastation that's taking place. Everything is pointing to the end except, and, and we know that all these signs point to the end, but there is no sign for the rapture. There is no sign for when that's going to take place. As a matter of fact, the rapture is the final sign. Once that takes place, millions of people are going to be gone. Boom! It just happens. And millions of people are going to be gone, and people are going to look around, and they're going to be able to explain it away. Oh, well, this happened. Oh, you know, thank God that they're gone. Now we can do whatever we want. We don't need a bunch of Christians around us telling us, what. I don't know how they're going to explain it away. But it's going to happen. And there is no sign for that rapture. That is just going to happen like that. In a twinkling of an eye, you will be transformed. Those that are dead in Christ, they'll be raised up. Their bodies are going to be raised up, and they're going to get new bodies, different bodies. Your body, thank God, my body, thank God, is going to be brand new. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you guys. I'm pick on myself. Thank God I'm going to get a different body, you know? It's going to be transformed, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. See, in, in John chapter 14, when he says he's going to come down, and he's going to take us with him to be with him. We're going to be with him for seven years. In Revelation 19, we're all going to come down and establish the millennial kingdom. When we were caught up, the word caught up is harpazo, which means to be caught up. And it comes from the Latin, the Latin word that they used to translate that was rapio. And rapio is where we get our word in Spanish, rapido. It's going to happen, boom, like that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a caught up, is rapio. And so when we translated from Latin to the English, we got the word rapture. Being taken away. You might've heard some songs about, you know, the rapture of her love just takes me away. And, uh, and it's, it's meant to mean that it's, it's taken us away. And I, I just want to focus on the last verse. It's not, um, it's not in your outlines, but the last verse of the Bible Uh, Excuse me, the last verse of chapter 4, verse 18. You see, Paul is not telling you this to scare you. And I'm not sharing this with you to frighten you or to give you any false hope. I'm giving you this because what verse 18 says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need to be encouraged by this. We need to be ready to go to sleep. I'm tired. You know, I'm tired and, you know, I want to go to sleep. and and if you don't have a good understanding of what this going to sleep means then you're going to look at it as death as finality but when you understand it as going to sleep as the bible teaches your soul automatically is in the presence of god what did jesus tell the thief on the cross when the thief had said to jesus you know uh, he's, he's yelling at the other thief because the other thief is saying, come on, you're the, you're the son of God. You know all these miracles. I've heard you do all kinds of things. Get us off this cross. And the other guy says, hey, shut up, man. Don't you know that we're up here for what we've done? But he hasn't done anything to deserve this punishment. And then he looks over at Jesus. You know, Jesus, just, just remember me. That's just, just remember me. That's all I want to know. There was a conversion in that man's heart. And Jesus said to him, today, today." No, you're going to die today. I know this. Today you will be with me in paradise. The body is going into the grave or those bodies were thrown into the, the, the ash heap and burnt. But his body just went to the ashes and his soul was automatically with Jesus that day. That's where Jesus was at. And he says, you're, you're right there with my father, just with all the other saints. And it's Sometimes a very gory thought to think about dying or death, especially when we think about those that have gone on before us. And, but unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I guess, this is where we're at today in this portion of Scripture. Paul was not necessarily teaching about the rapture, but he was teaching about, hey, you know, you, you got to just be ready. Because, and, and don't worry about those that have gone on to be with the Lord, because that's where they're at. And they, they wouldn't change a thing. They do not want to come back. Matter of fact, they can't even see you. They can't. There's this huge chasm, this huge divide. And they're in the presence of God. And, you know, when I'm there, leave me there. Don't don't try to get me back because you can't, number one. That's where we'll be. Let me ask you to stand. You know, one of the things that we have to understand here is that there are only two types of people that are going to be raptured and be with the Lord forever. Number one those that die in Christ, and number two, those that are taken up with Christ. That's not the whole world. That isn't everybody. That's only a select few that have committed their life to Christ. And if you haven't done so yet, you need to commit your life to Christ. If God's word is penetrating and poking your heart and and just cutting you to the point of understanding that You are a sinner and that you've lost all contact with the divine nature of God. God wants to give you his divine nature. He wants you to be an image bearer, to bear his image, the nature of God. And he wants to take away your sin. He wants to take it off of you and he wants to apply to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that you can be a changed person. The Bible calls that being born again. And he wants to do that and he wants to do that right now. Before it's too late. None of us are promised tomorrow. And Father, we know that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us because of that. And we live on borrowed time. And even if we live to be 120, it's nothing compared to eternity. It's a drop in the ocean compared to all eternity that we will spend with you. Or spend apart from you. And I pray, Father, that those that are are within the sound of my voice that they recognize their sinful state. They repent like Paul did. He changed his mind about what he was doing. And he turned to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that each one of us can come to that conclusion in our own life. And I pray, Father, that happens even now. That the transformation is taking place and that they commit their life to you. Because this is where we are, Father. We're at this point in our life. And I thank you for those that you've already transformed. And I pray, God, your peace upon them. And you give them the encouragement they need to continue on. And to persevere in spite of all the, all the distractions that go on in life. That you go on, Lord. And you keep, going, you keep with them, Lord. Father, I thank you for that. So, Lord, we want to thank you once again for this promise that you give us because, well, first of all, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Second of all, because he rose from the dead. And third of all, because your word is true. And you said it was going to happen. So, Father, once again, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer.